This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Hi, I'm Hanif Baharudin and this is Gigi Wellplayed, the show that talks about all things video games. In this episode, we're going to look at the international Dota 2's highly prestigious tournament organized by Valve and how far it has grown 10 years on. But before that, here's a recap of some of the biggest news in the world of gaming with Ali Johan and of Neil Ting. Thank you, Hanif. Here are some news for this week. Uh, Activision Blizzard has revealed the new name for the Overwatch character that was uh, based on a former employee uh, and that person was exposed to be involved in a culture of harassment and abuse uh, at the company. So Activision Blizzard decided to give a new name to that specific character. It's a kind of like a cowboy-like character, formerly known as Jesse McCree, and the character will be now known as Cole Cassidy. The rename will take effect in-game on the 26th of October. Yep, Blizzard announced the plan to rename the character in August after details emerged of said employee's involvement in the scandal. And now in an official tweet, Blizzard has somehow acknowledged Cassidy's name change as part of the game's lore, they refer to Cassidy as a character that's running from his past, ooh, and ultimately choosing to be honest with his team and himself about who he really is. This is part of a new exercise by Blizzard who said that they will move away from naming in-game characters based on real employees. Oh, nice. I mean, it's a novel idea, but once things like this go wrong, yeah. then you have to take the necessary measures. Uh, big ups to the company. Uh, the investigations and uh, the fallout from the lawsuit by California Department of Fair Employment and Housing still continue for the company and uh, we'll bring you more updates uh, when they come. And up next, CD Projekt has announced the acquisition of the Molasses Flood a studio known for games such as The Flame the Flood and Drake Hollow. The studio will be working on one of CD Projekt's IPs but will remain independent and not merge with any existing teams in CD Projekt. It's not clear which franchise they'll be working on, whether The Witcher or Cyberpunk 2077, but CD Projekt did say that uh, it's an ambitious project and that the details will be revealed later. The Polish company also said that the acquisition of the Molasses Flood was down to their technological insight and experience, praising the company for their eye for quality as well. Studio head for the Molasses Flood, Forrest Dowling, said that it was an incredible opportunity to be part of CD Projekt Group and uh, that this acquisition will allow the team to reach a much wider audience. Let's wait and see how things will pan out for the studio in the future. Moving on, Konami has announced that the first update to their much maligned new football game called eFootball 2022 will be delayed till early November. The 0.9.1 update, which was initially scheduled to come out on the 28th of October, might need a little bit more time in the oven before it can be released to the public. And in their public statement on Twitter, Konami apologised for the delay and the inconvenience caused. They plead for more time to ensure the experience will be improved for all users and will announce the date and the details as soon as they're confirmed. Of course, the game's shambolic performance since it was released was well documented and while Konami has uh, pleaded for, you know, giving them more time to fix things and stuff, the question is, will they really be able to do it considering that they did spend two years on developing this new game? Mm, we'll see. Though at this rate, we're willing to give them a bit more time to work those kinks out. Okay, last but not least, more details on the remastered versions of the old GTA games have emerged alongside a new trailer. Grand Theft Auto, the trilogy, the definitive edition, will be released on the 11th of November and will feature all three games, GTA 3, GTA Vice City and GTA San Andreas under one bundle for the price of 60 US dollars. 
there will be a physical release of the game as well for all the uh, major consoles except for the PS5. No clear details on that. The game will also have GTA 5 inspired modern controls along with various visual enhancements, including resolution upgrades and improved visual fidelity while still maintaining its distinct original aesthetic apparently. Uh, we're personally looking forward to the updated controls as the older GTA games have always had a less than stellar control scheme that was only perfected by like GTA 5. Um, and according to the information released, we can now look forward to targeting and lock-on aiming as well as updated weapon and radio station wheels as well. well that's going to be interesting. The minimaps have also been updated and now you can set waypoints to specific places. Of course, there will also be updated achievements and trophies for all you trophy hunters out there. Yeah, overall, it sounds quite decent for now. And while we still remember the debacle with the recently announced GTA 5 Enhanced Edition for next-gen consoles, this definitive edition is indeed looking pretty exciting. And before we go, for fans of Uncharted, let us know what you think of the recently released movie trailer. What do you think of it? Personally, we're not really feeling it, but do let us know what you think. You can tweet us at BFM Radio. That's all we have for this week's news. Back to you, Hanif. Thank you very much, Ali and Ofnil. Only two left. Can they stop a PSG? How did they? I don't think they can. GQ's got it. It's over. It's over. GQ's got it. They have done it. Team Spirit. They come into the grand finals. Two games straight up. They take away from PSG. How did they? That was a snippet from the 10th edition of The International, which ended recently with Team Spirit, a relative Mino who's making their first ever appearance in the tournament, becoming champions, bringing home $18.2 million from the prize pool of around $40 million. All in all, it was a perfect story to somehow encapsulate how the tournament has evolved leaps and bounds since it first came to the fore 10 years ago. It's also a perfect showcase of how the ever-growing esports scene is here to stay. So in this episode, we're going to take a look at how The International has grown 10 years on and joining me to talk about this are two ardent Dota fans Daryl Ong and Najman Maliki yeah I think before we go into the international we gotta basically put uh, or describe Dota in like a sentence right Najman um, I, I would call it chess plus basketball on Ooh. steroids <laughs> I would call it uh, 4D chess la. 4D chess uh, mm. plus basketball and a, a, a lot of uh, uh, cursing mm. so it's a it's a I would call it an action RPG almost, a battle arena style game where each one controls a character. You call them heroes in Dota. And you, you build up your strength of a hero. You customize your items. Um, you get stronger uh, as, as the game goes. And when the game ends, a game ends basically when um, a, a throne explodes, right? At either ends of the team. Um, and when it ends, the game ends and the next round, you start from zero again. So it's not like your typical, you know, I guess, Warcraft 3 or typical MMOs where you continue from where you ended the last time but this one every round is a new game kind of like football where every football match is a new match right mm. that's how I put it yep yep I think it's your typical MOBA and yeah if we were to go back even further um, it is uh, a spin-off of Warcraft uh, made by this fella called Ice Rock and um yeah, I think it just caught on fire and it actually spinned up a lot more more MOBAs as, as you can see like uh, League of Legends, uh, Mobile Legends and, and, and all the likes, yeah. And being quote-unquote the OG, if you will, <laughs> um, you can imagine how huge in the internationals, the, you can imagine how huge the internationals aka World Cup of Dota is. 
Yeah, and it's crazy to think, right, that, you know, Ice Frog back in the day during the Warcraft 3 days, he, he, he was just a model. He was a contributor, part of the community, right? Wanted to add something new to uh, Warcraft 3, Frozen Throne, right, Nachman? Yeah. And now, <laughs> fast forward, Ice Frog, no one knows who he is, by the way, honey. If he's like this mythical character, no one knows he's a dude or a girl. No, no one knows who he is. He's just Ice Frog. Ice Frog's now working with Valve. So that's, that's how much the community have grown since. And it's crazy to think that, really. Yeah, uh, I still remember the days when uh, people were still playing uh, the first Dota, right? I don't know whether they call it Dota 1.6. I don't know, but that's for Counter-Strike, right? <laughs> Maybe I'm mixing my games All-stars, here. All-Stars. Dota All-Stars, yeah. Yeah, so that was the, the first vintage game I remember. Only because, like I said, I think earlier, right? I think it depends on your circles. Like for me, I'm surrounded by, strangely, people who play Dota, the first one and the second one. And yet, I've never picked up the game. Uh, well, so then that's kind of interesting. Um, but yeah, so so I think, um, yeah, the history behind Dota and how I think it eventually uh, grew. But what I, I think led to the creation of, of the tournament? Because I think ever since Valve took over... Um, they re-released the game, called it Dota 2. And then what, what kick-started the whole, you know, the international? Like, for example, like, uh, how did the international start then? After, I think, Valve took over. Yeah, um, uh, it started, I would say, uh, when basically people started to get competitive, right? Like any other esports, any other... It's, it wasn't even considered an esport back then. But it was just like, um, your team versus my team. And then people just got, I would say, not even regional, I would say, like, do like district matches and like, probably even slightly bigger, maybe a, a small group of people um, get some sponsors and just do small competitions among themselves. And then it got bigger and bigger. And then we got our regional uh, uh, campaigns, if you will, like our regional leagues. Um, they're called the majors, right? And where where would all these majors, major leagues go, right? I mean, if you think about it, we have the Southeast Asian major, we've got the European major, we've got the uh, the, the Chinese major, all the majors kind of like funnel down to one main spot, lah, which is the internationals. Because you have your regional majors. So if you pile them all up, then you get your internationals. Lah. Yeah, so the majors are like qualification stages to the international. The international is, be, is typically a season closer, lah, if if you will, uh, of a Dota season. But bringing it back to, you know, before even TI1 and to answer your question, Hanif, Esports was really strong back then, you know, you had things like StarCraft, which was huge, uh, especially in South Korea and stuff like that, right? And, you know, when Valve announced TI1, it was a pretty small event. It was held at uh, Gamescom. It wasn't even an event of its own. It was part of a gaming exhibition um, in Seattle or, or Vegas. I can't remember now. But what I guess drew a lot of people's attention to this TI1, the first ever edition, was the prize pool, right? Nashman? Yeah. I mean, yeah. back then, StarCraft, the highest you would go, probably 200k USD prize pool, 250k. Dota announced a 1.8 million um, prize pool. And, and even teams, established teams of Dota 1 uh, back then were skeptical. And they, they, man, many didn't join TI1 because they thought it was, it was a scam. Yeah. You know? They, uh, they actually did it in, in, in Valve's office, actually. Correct. Oh, hey, Valve's yeah. office, really? Oh, yeah, okay. one of the, like, like not even the HQ. La. It's like one of their satellite <laughs> offices. Yeah, so to answer your question, I think money talks, right? So 1.8 million blew the, you know, and, and back then when people heard of 200k StarCraft tournaments, they go, wow, playing games can bring you money. Imagine one, what 1.8k can do, uh, 1.8 million can do, right? 
Mm. And yeah. this was in around, I think, 2000, what, 2011? Right? So 20, 2011, 2010, uh, 2010, 2010, right? So, but the concept of the, the price itself is also pretty interesting in that sense, right? Because yeah. I think um, it, it, they use the, the price pool system as opposed to like the usual, you know, sponsorship and money being rewarded from from the organizer, right? So, so yeah, yeah, yeah. perhaps, yeah, explain a bit about, about that because I think if I'm not mistaken, it also involves uh, the pool comes from not just... I guess, random people, but also gamers themselves, right? <laughs> yeah. So I think that's one of the things that Valve wanted to try and do to kind of, especially, I guess, get more buy-ins from, from advertisers as well, right? So when you're talking to like advertisers, say, hey, Red Bull, do you want to sponsor my event? They'll be like, ah, who are you? I don't know you, right? So Valve wanted to really show that they've got supports from all over the world because there's, there's, there's people like myself and Daryl and a few others in the office back then who are really into the, the internationals. But I mean, we can't, quote unquote, be there uh, in like Seattle or whatever. Um, so they wanted to show that these people actually care about the internationals. So what they did was they promised for every 25% of the sale that they made to purchase the compendium, like a like a e-ticket back then, they will donate that money or no. Rather, they will give that money towards the, the price pool, right? Um, so the compendium was $10. I remembered that <laughs> $10 that I purchased back then. And then uh, $2.50 $2. goes into the price pool. And you can actually see the price pool growing. And it was crazy because... Um, you can actually literally see the support from players all over the world. Actually, just probably even viewers because the price pool grew from what Valve put in, which is about 1.6, 1.8 million to, I believe, was close to three towards the end. No, no. Uh, first in the, in, in, in the first, first international. The first one, 1. 1.8, right? So, so I think Valve put in slightly less than a million. Uh, actually, I think back then they didn't have the companion system yet. You know, they're still trying things out. I think only during two, uh, TI4, then they started the whole battle pass system. So I'm not I'm not really sure about where the funds came from, probably from sponsors, the first three TIs. But I know since TI4, it's community driven. It's uh, the community actually takes money out of your own pocket and put it into the price pool. Yeah. So 20, like, like Nachman said, 25% of a compendium. A compendium, if, if you don't know what it is, is kind of like a seasonal progression type. You unlock something in the game which... Uh, lets you get skins uh, the more you play and stuff like that lah, essentially in a nutshell and you buy that and 25% goes into the price pool and if you look at it this year's price pool is about 40, 40 plus million right and that's 25% of the sales right so imagine Valve is keeping that 70, other 75% swimming in money you know it's crazy yeah. to think yeah but, but I think I think what Valve had done with this whole system is they really revolutionize how the community can contribute to the game as well and yeah. uh, the community can feel more connected to the game in this way, if you ask me. Uh, one more thing I would like to like highlight is that Dota, maybe for some of you guys who are not aware, is a free game. Dota 2 is a free game. Yeah. You don't need yep. to pay for it. And considering this is a free game, you can't be at the venue physically. You're at home, yeah? And you, you're contributing your money to the pool and they've lumped up this at least 40 million dollars from the the viewers yeah that's just crazy man that's the the viewers at least spent about um just like off the top of my head about 160 million dollars on the the just this one international so yeah it's a it's a really good way of making money and also like contributing back 
That was Najman Maliki and he's joined by Daryl Ong and together we've been talking about the international Dota 2's prestigious competition. We're going to make way for some messages. Stay tuned. This is GG Well Played on BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, listening to GG Well Played, I'm your host Hanif Baharudin. We've been talking about the international Dota 2's highly prestigious tournament that has just finished its 10th installment last week with Team Spirit winning this year's edition. Daryl Ong and Ajman Maliki joined me in this episode to talk about how the game has captured the imagination of a lot of gamers. One interesting fact about the game is that it has been around for years now and that longevity is pretty admirable. I'm quite also um, curious to know how the game has managed to still, I guess, to a certain extent, still be around. Considering that I think um, it has been, you know, we're talking about how this year's the international was the tenth uh, uh, edition, right? Meaning that I think the game as a tournament has been around for ten years, but the game itself has been around for much longer. Right? And the fact that it still it still captures the audience uh, attention, and I would like to say that it still, you know, you still have new players joining in on the fun as well. What is it that makes the game great? What is it that makes the whole, I guess, community great? Like to a certain extent, right? I mean, because the international is is one part of what makes the Dota community so vibrant to a certain extent, right? So, yeah, from the international to even the community itself, um, yeah, what makes it so interesting? And dare I say it, like maybe additive to a certain extent. <laughs> I would say what Jeremy Lin said a couple of years ago. Jeremy Lin, a basketball player, NBA basketball player, is an avid Dota guy as well. And a documentary had interviewed him and asked him this exact same question. And he goes, Dota is not a game. Dota is a lifestyle. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's, it's true to a certain extent, you know. Um, you're right. It's a game that, you know, has survived uh, many years, uh, almost coming up to two decades now. And it's crazy to think that it's, and nothing, nothing much has changed about the game. It's almost the same thing you know, five on five, destroy the ancient to win. But what they did is they released lots of patches and whenever a patch comes out, there's always a buzz around the community. It's like, it's almost like changing up the game and almost like playing a new game, but also not really. I don't know. I, I Now post TI, you're supposed to get a patch, so I'm pretty excited about that. And, and that ex- exactly says it. Lah. I've been playing this game for so long, but I'm still so excited about a new patch that's coming. And I think that's something that Valve did really well, you know, to take care of, you know, the mechanics and, and to maintain the game, essentially. Yeah, and I, I would also even go um, the extra mile as to saying that one of the reasons why people are really into the game is is because of the, um, I would say, minimum requirement that you need to, to go into the game, right? So if you want to play, say, I don't know, um, Overwatch, for example, you got to buy a $60 game, which in Southeast Asia is a lot of money. In Malaysia, it's a lot of money, right? So a lot of people won't do that. And then you probably need to have a, a spec'd out PC um, that can actually play the game. So Dota is considering the age, right? They've made it so that old computers can work. It's free. The The entry level is is quite quite forgiving, right? Because of that, you are just... It's in like terms of hardware, history. yes. In terms of in hardware. In terms of hardware, yes. <laughs> yes. In terms of skill, I mean, like, your hardware can be... Dota's the hardest game and, uh, to learn, man. <laughs> <laughs> I was just about to say that, talking about accessibility, yes, uh, hardware-wise, maybe the game is light enough to be played on old machines as well. You know, whoever has... As long as you have a computer, chances are you can, you know, quote-unquote run uh, Dota 2, right? But in terms of um, accessibility, if you were to play the game, accessibility to, to actually play the game... The learning curve is pretty steep, right? You need to actually spend a bit of time to actually learn the game, right? 
Yeah. Um. I I think I can weigh in a little bit here just because throughout. So so myself and my little brother, we are we are really into Dota and like we watch TI 10 from from the start. And um, uh, my brothers, my other brothers actually got interested as well. It's a yearly thing, and then they were like, okay, what's the, what's the fast right? So my eldest brother, who have never played any mobile games ever, uh, tried it out recently. So. I do agree with you, but uh, I think the way they've they've managed to kind of create the tutorials, the even even if you just want to understand uh, how how the thing works, uh, the way they've explained the things for new players is surprisingly good. I did not realize this, right? Um, but yeah, if you're if you're just joining in, uh, and you can even start with bots if you're afraid of playing with other people, um, you can start at a very easy difficulty bot just to understand that. You can even make the bot passive so that you can actually understand the skills and stuff. I think for a such a complex game, uh, the way they've kind of eased people in into understanding how it, the mechanics work is, is really interesting. But having said that, the mechanics is not simple. So if you're coming from even LOL, League of Legends, you would actually feel like Dota is, is another level lah. Yeah, the mechanics is something else, right? But but other than that, the strategy as well, right? And the different combinations that that make the game. You know, there's so many variables that when it comes to a Dota match, right? One small mistake can cost so much. You you pick the uh, this hero instead of that hero, it could mean something else as well. So, like I said, like at the top, you you learn by losing. That's why like, <laughs> that's why I like to tell people who just got into the game, don't be don't don't care if you lose. You know, it's it's a learning experience. Mm, and it's definitely a game that's meant to be played with friends, right? Uh, it's one of those games where I think you need to make friends to be able to play it, right? It's not like one of those games where um, I mean, because these days, especially, right? If you think about it, and there are a lot of people who play online games, right? But but they play online individually, if you know what I mean, right? You know, for example, I can I can go online and play FIFA and 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 just you know, technically I'll be playing with other people, but it's just it's a very solitary experience, whereas. With a game like Dota, it requires coordination, which means that you have to also, you know, have proper teammates, you know, communicate, make friends with people if you don't have friends, and learn. Yeah, learn, right? I mean, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a. I think part of the fun and the adventure of the game is is learning the mechanics is one thing, but learning the strategies of how to actually play and quote unquote master the game eventually, right? I think that's that's the editing part of the game. You know, correct me if I'm wrong, right? Yeah. I mean, I mean, teamwork is definitely ideal, <laughs> an ideal world, <laughs> right? But uh, when I do, I, you can you can solo. Queue on Dota as well, but it, yeah, it, it's it's an experience I had like no other playing pub games in Dota. You know, people, on, on, I've learned a lot of swear words in many different dialects and many different <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, from many different countries. So um, that's one part of it. But also, you know, you do have good days when people are actually you know carrying and on on the mic and actually you know encouraging about. Um, how the game is going and stuff. So, so it could, it could go either way. You know, you could you could play yeah. with friends, you could play solo. But the experience of the match is the experience of the match. Yeah, and I I would say I would even have to go as far as saying that most of the people on my team friends list are strangers, quote unquote strangers lah. Other people that we have met on pub Dota games, public Dota games, and uh, we just kind of like clicked because that person is a a good person, and and we just. Uh, start to play more games together and probably join a, a Discord where we we have never seen each other's faces but we talk to each other. Yeah, and I think it's a good place to, if you don't have friends, you want to make friends, you can try and find them here lah. Yeah, as as players and also observers of of the scene, how has the scene grown based on your observation? Like, 
what's keeping it alive to a certain extent? You know, is it because of, you know, new players joining in or also like the fact that I think Valve's ingenuity in always supporting the game and supporting the game well. What, what are your observations, you know, of the scene? I mean, I um, for for just looking at progression as to how they keep things uh, spicy and alive, overall, it's been great, la, I would say. We do have people raging uh, and then saying that they want to quit and then they, they maybe quit for <laughs> a week or two and then they'll come back. <laughs> it's like a drug that you can't get out of. Um, yeah. but, uh, I said it, I want to quit Dota many times over the years. And here I am. <laughs> And and on top of that, I think um, the if you just look at the scene itself as an esports, um, it's it's been it's been crazy. We do have like legendary Malaysian players like Mushi and Chuan, and like you can actually see that they are actually moving along in in becoming coaches, sometimes managers, and because it okay. So when you look at football, a very well established sport. Um, you when you look at the player transfer, they've got managers going in, they've got uh, agents and stuff, um, they've got a whole team managing those things. Initially, Dota started without any of those. And, and you can clearly see now that we are getting more and more of those people nowadays. And it's a really good, fast-evolving thing that you can actually see track at least f- for the past 10, 15 years. And I, I think it's miraculous. Yeah, I think something has to be said also about the commercial interest, right? In the game, um, back yeah. in the day, used to be just energy drinks, used to be apparel in terms of sponsors. And now, fast forward, you see guys like Team Viewer, you see guys like Mercedes, you see all these big players actually turning to esports, right? Not just Dota, turning to esports and saying, hey, this is a lucrative market for us. This is the type of uh, the target audience that, that we want well Mercedes mm. I, I'm not so sure about that but but yeah uh, I mean what's keeping the game alive I think money keeps the game alive and you know, it really helps that you know these big players are actually coming into the game because at the end of the day who benefits us right we get a better game we get a better uh, more stable system what have you yeah Let, let's talk about the recently concluded tournament We've heard the story of how the winner is actually, you know, a team that's making their first ever appearance in the tournament, right? So maybe that's also part of the narrative of what makes the international as a tournament pretty, I guess, interesting, right, to a certain extent. So perhaps, yeah, maybe you can give us uh, a bit of your, I guess, reaction to the whole tournament, you know, considering that you guys have been watching it since since the beginning, right? So share with us, what's your your take on the recent the international? Is it one of perhaps one of the best the internationals that you've, you've witnessed? In terms oh. of um, the Cinderella story, in terms of <laughs> the romantic side of Dota, I would say yes, uh, along with TI4 Wings, I would say yes, this is one of the most um, exciting and unexpected tournaments, especially over the recent years, right? Well, OG, TI8, no one expected them to win as well and, and they got it. So that's, that might be another one. But um, this tournament was great. I, it was awesome that it was in Romania because, you know, I get to adjust my time zone. If it was in the US, then I'll probably... <laughs> you know, still be recovering from my, you know, lack of sleep. But it was a great tournament. Uh, we saw we saw a solid meta, to be honest. I think around, um, I think this patch was really great because I think I saw a stat that um, maybe 90% of the heroes in the pool were taken yeah, I throughout think the course of the tournament, six, right? Just six heroes were not Yeah, that were left out, right? Throughout, yeah. So, so 
that, that shows the strength of the patch, lah, Hanif. Like, you know, how Ice Rock had balanced um, the pre-TI patch. And go, going to this tournament, people expected to see fewer heroes. I'm going to put it out there. You know, people expect to see the, the, the steady meta heroes, as, as, as what you call it. But yeah, I mean, we saw also some new strats at, at Dota this year. Uh, the Tiny Lycan was something new. I never saw that before. Uh, Magnus became the hero of the tournament. So yeah, lots of s- small, small storylines, but all in all, a, a solid watch and, and a great two weeks for me. Mm, yeah, me too. I think um, I think it's it's always nice to see an underdog uh, winning. It's like when Leicester City won the Premier League. Yeah, Everyone mm. felt like nice and like, oh, you now know that uh, an underdog team can actually win something huge. Um, this is what we saw in the latest uh, international. And I think uh, we do see a lot of support actually from um, g- going towards like smaller uh, regions like Southeast Asia. So we've got um, T1. Uh, a lot of people had support for T1 just because um, they're a Southeast Asian team and they actually progressed quite far. But yeah, I mean, in terms of uh, drama, I would rank TI10 one of the one of the top ones, lah. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, that's great. Um, and also, like I think we were talking about this. I think um off air about how maybe perhaps you know with the success of Team Spirit, I don't know whether whether you know this kind of narrative, um, this the Cinderella story, like like you said, Daryl, uh, is is also used as an example to you know people who have ambitions of wanting to be esports players, right? Because I think these days, if you think about it, you know, the, with the rise in popularity of esports, a lot of people are now considering esports as like an actual viable career path, right? To some extent, and I think you know, in seeing teams like Team Spirit winning, uh, these tournaments, I think I'm sure, uh, that it must trigger a lot of people out there about the possibility, you know, of being successful, right? You know, of making it, quote-unquote, right? So how good is the international as a platform to showcase the dream, quote-unquote, the dream, right? You know what I mean? And 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 what's the support system like in terms of budding esports players these days if they would like to, you know, embark on a serious career of actually doing this full-time, right? Is the support system strong enough to allow for things like this to happen? Like, you know, what, what, what's, your, what's your take on this? I mean, let's put it this way. La. TI is the pinnacle and the highest level of uh, competitive Dota 2, right? And for Team Spirit, um, out of five of them, four of them were at their first TI. <laughs> so you can imagine that, you know, I mean, that by itself is so inspiring, right? I'm past the age to, you know, dream and, and to <laughs> try anymore. Uh, for Anything like is possible word, in Dota, so... <laughs> <laughs> but yes, I mean, uh, lots of eyes were, were on this tournament and lots of, you know, young aspiring. I th- I think the stigma of, you know, kids shouldn't go into esports or video games as a career is slowly, slowly um, fading away with, like I said, you know, this commercial interest and it's getting shown on Astro, for example. I think I think the older generation is starting to realize and starting to, in a way, support um, this next generation of 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 e- esports stars i would i would say and malaysia wise i'm not sure what exactly the support system is uh, i think for a lot of the malaysians especially the ones that were at ti um they had you know number one you got to be up in the global leaderboards you need to be one of the highest in terms of your uh, you call it mmr points right or elo points um which, which is like a leaderboard la, of, of like how good you are uh, in the world. But also I think a bunch of them actually went to China, right? They, they, they started their trade in China first before actually returning and, you know, joining a C team. 
Yeah, and I, I think I think um, in terms of going back to the support system, I don't believe it's solely on the government's uh, responsibility to kind of support this. I think, as you can see, <laughs> looking at the price pool this round, it's also a commercially viable thing for for a company to actually sponsor a team. So let's take. Team Spirit, right? Um, they do have a sponsor, but the sponsor is not as big as the opposing team that they fought, which is PSG, right? A very huge, well-known entity in sports. Um, and like, but you, as you can see, like, they 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 got support from such a giant. And I think if you were to superimpose that kind of idea onto any region, not just Malaysia in the world, um, you can actually say a proof that this is a, a commercially viable flow for anyone who wants to join the sports and um if you look into esports technically speaking it, the the okay like looking at the stigma that we have it's always or this group of frail kids who, who never see sunlight only play games every day right but no you look at um you look at uh, the players in in ti None of them look weak. None of them are, are 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 not fit because you actually need to be fit to be that, to be that active, right? So yeah, I think one other thing that we need to kind of like do more as a community as well is to kind of change our stigma and mindset when we look at esports. Um, yeah, I learned I learned one extra thing over the I10 is that. I always see the players carrying water bottles in. I always thought that there was water bottle for them to drink, but apparently it's like hot water, so that their arms are, um, uh, the blood in their arms are properly circulated, so that they can react faster when they click. So they always hold the water bottle right before the match, so that the the arms are warm enough that they can actually properly perform. That's a lot like footballers going in and out of a match. So yeah. You're tuning in to GG Well Played and that was our conversation commemorating the international's 10th year anniversary featuring Dota 2 hardcore fans and players Najman Maliki and Daryl Ong. If you'd like to listen to this episode again, look for the podcast on pfm.my, our app available on the Apple App Store or Google Play and also Spotify. Do share your thoughts about the show or the games that you play via our email ggwp.pfm.my. Don't forget to also follow the station on Twitter at BFM Radio. My name is Sanif Baharudin. Thanks for joining us. Game on and stay Stay safe. Till next time, GG well paid. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.